You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi everyone, it's Fran here. And Kylie. And it's the 21st week after Pentecost and Kylie and I will be focusing on the readings firstly from Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 and chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 and the Gospel of Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. Let's start chronologically with Habakkuk. Yeah, let's dig in. So this is another um, sort of short uh, prophetic book that we get in the Hebrew Bible. And actually, I wonder if, like, you know, thinking through things before um, launching into the week's prep, it might actually be worth reading this through Mm. in one sort of like solid, it's three chapters. So just, you know, reading it through. And having at least two voices, one being um, Habakkuk and one being God. Yes, Great idea because, in fact, what we're getting, this is going to be a kind of a text that does have these two voices coming Mm. back and forth. There's a kind of dialogue. Well, it is. I was going to say that's the structure of the text itself, isn't it? Yeah. Dialogue. It's great. So, and that's the kind of core concern in this text is, is about, um, how to how to trust in the faithfulness, the steadfastness and reliability of God when all around there's evidence of injustice. Um, so obviously a theme we see really frequently in Hebrew Bible texts, um, and um, one of course that this that this text is often compared to, which um, is one that might be a bit more familiar to people in Job, um, and so people often notice the similar kinds of theodicy mm. questions that are raised in each of those. Those texts. Um, so, as you read through Habakkuk, it'd be interesting to think about what this reminds you of, or doesn't remind you of in Job. And I guess one thing is thinking about um, the kind of struggle, the really, I mean, very real pain that Habakkuk is describing here. Um, it's not about um, dealing with like kind of natural disasters or random things that befall us, but. Um, but actually quite specifically it's a concern about injustice and and about the injustice and um of of the kind of oppressing forces that mm, that they're that, encountering that's through human agency yes, and um um yeah cruelty yes exactly and he's also objecting to something else isn't he in quite a complex way and that is god's how god deals with that yes. in this situation yeah so i think that there's um I mean, people might be familiar with a, a, a sort of strand that runs through the, the Hebrew Bible. Often negative experience can be explained in a way that sort of like, so say all the texts that are grappling in some way or another with the experience of exile, Babylonian exile, and um, the, the explanation can be something like um, Babylon can't, uh, God is more is stronger than Babylon. So it can't be that Babylon is just assailing us. Uh, it must be that God is really in control. So God must be using Babylon as mm. an instrument for God's own purposes in in pu- sort of just punishment of Israel. So um, and which always comes, of course, with a kind of um, uh, a kind of flip side to that theology, which is and when when the punishment has been. Uh, fulfilled, there there will be a turn to justice. This is a theme that gets taken up and just thinking, contemplating um, that turn to justice in all different ways. And a part of what seems to be going on in Habakkuk is is a kind of like further further com- complexity to that dynamic, which is, um, but hang on a tick. If we look around, this oppressing force that if God is using this oppressing force as an instrument, why are they so mm. unjust? 
They're worse, the cure is worse than the problem. Yes, exactly, exactly. So there's a kind of like, God, what are you really doing here question here in the text, I think. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to go through and have a – are there any um, uh, words or statements that stand out to you particularly? Um, Yeah, let's do it. How long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? I'm just interested, you know, if you preached last week and looked at Joel, actually it promises the opposite that whoever calls on yeah. the Lord will be <laughs> will yeah, be yeah. heard. So it's just that other that, you know, repeated thing we get where in he in the in the Bible we get um traditions of one kind and of another saying the opposite thing, but they're both true about the human reality of living with suffering and trying to make sense of the world. Mm. And our place in it, yeah, and and also there's it, there's something extraordinary, right? That the same biblical canon, like the same set of texts that are read as scripture, mm. can incorporate all this stuff and and sort of legitimize, you know, like we often say about the the Psalms, that all these different emotions are captured within the Book of Psalms, and they they show that it's um, a faithful response to to address all of these even you know statements of disbelief or questioning it's all still addressed to god which which seems like a um a really helpful tradition to see ourselves as part of mm. i think um the other thing i noticed in saying saying that friend you say you know oh lord how long shall i cry for help i mean we're also used to reading for lectionary things just like bits and pieces everywhere not necessarily noticing where they come from or whatnot i mean this is the very beginning of the book it just like mm. launches into mm. it there's not much i mean there's this little um uh, sort of sort of script bit at the top, the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, um, but then it launches straight into mm. this. So it doesn't say, God, I'm going to talk to you about <laughs> yeah, that's right. this situation. No, not much context, not much no. um, scene setting or whatever. It's straight into the lament. And it's interesting that it uses this kind of legal language where you might expect a prophet to begin with the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the legal language that would be sort of... Um, uh, addressing judgment towards the reader, you know, this is what what you've done wrong or what, but it doesn't. It immediately takes the voice of the complainant. This is mm. this is what's wrong, and then we're going to get when we turn to the um, the bit at the start of chapter two, which is then you have a whole big bit that you can read uh, that is between the bits in the lectionary. But then we turn to a bit which is a little bit more from Habakkuk, and then the the um, the Lord speaks in response. So, what stood out for you there, friend? Um, the Lord, well, the vision, yeah. the fact that it has to be so plain and brief that someone running past will be able to comprehend it. Do you I think, th- I think or, that's or, quite a funny image. Um, or that it's a small enough um, tablet to be able to like carry it and run. Yeah, and, yeah. And to spread you know, it's rest. not. A, it's a clear and a simple. Yeah. Which does not mean simplistic. No. Um, Fran, are you uh, extending a challenge to our preachers this week to kind of think about like very short sermons well, that might could be, be like put on yes. stone tablets and carried Possibly. about happily? Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm also struck by the um, statement, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. And that's because that's where we all live Um in the light of the promise, we live in the light of the promise that the, the appointed time will come, that all God will make all things new. 
But we know, as you've said, and as Habakkuk outlines in specific mm. terms around economic and, and, and injustice, mm. it's not what we're not living it now. And so I think this is quite an exciting part of Habakkuk or exciting, exciting book to read because um, it it's well the New Testament echoes that all the time in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. On the resurrection of Jesus specifically, and the fact that while um, that reality has come about, the rightness of all things is not yet, and we live in the hope, in the midst of lament and rejoice, which is what Habakkuk's inviting us to do ultimately. Yeah. Um, which, if you um, are preaching on this passage, it would be good to go, as you say, read the whole thing, but. Focus in chapter towards the end of chapter three, uh, in about verse seventeen, I think, where um, Habakkuk comes to the realization or to the peace sense of peace, perhaps, that God has acted against this oppression and injustice, um, and God has come good, and God will come good, and so there's this sentence about although the fig tree doesn't blossom, and there's no fruit on the vines, and there's no yield, and there's no food in the yields, etc. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the, find joy in God, my salvation. So it's that uh, complex reality that we live in that takes account of pain. Mm. It holds on to the hope mm. and we're in that movement all the time. And sometimes we're in such distress in one part of it that only other people can do the praying for the joy for us. You know, that's why we're in community. Yes. Yes, but actually, you know, I don't believe I can rejoice, Kylie. I just don't. I can't. Yeah, and you, you will do that for me. Yes, that's right. There's a, the and which is also part of what that kind of bigger canon that we're talking about is doing because it's constantly witnessing to us from the other voices and the other experiences. Mm. Yeah, which we also um, mimic in our in our communities. I think also I I do really like that that line about um if it seems to tarry because um. There's also a recognition even within the text, like it's not just soldiering on saying, no, honestly, everything's fine. Mm. It's it's recognising that very, that that real experience of there is something not right, you know, like the crying out at the beginning of chapter one. Um, there is something not right, but there's still this promise that it's it's just a bit delayed. It's coming good. And so hold, hold fast. Hold fast. Hold yeah. fast. Which actually leads to like one of the other um, most complex bits of this passage, which is a translation issue, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, very much worth um, pondering. There's a lot of people will say that um, Habakkuk... Um, Chapter 2, verse 4, which is the final verse here in this section for the lectionary, is a kind of like pivotal text Mm. for the whole, pivotal verse for the whole um, book. But then there's this like difficulty in working out how to translate it. And it actually makes like, I think, quite a big difference. So um, you'll notice if you're looking at something like an NRSV, you look at the like um, second part of chapter 4 there, it will say, but the righteous live by their faith, their faith. Now, that is the NRSV changing things to be there as a gender-inclusive thing. Um, the ESV, which is not as concerned about that, um, is going to translate it, but the righteous shall live by his faith, which immediately mm. draws our attention to that there's a, it's a singular, it's the righteous one kind of thing in, in the text. 
But there is a real question here about in the that begins in the Hebrew. There's already a question in the Hebrew about the best way to translate this and whether it is um, in in the way that these English translations are sort of implying that the righteous one lives lives by the faith or faithfulness. It's really more like the steadfastness, the reliability, the faithfulness of of their own. So the, the righteous one lives by their own faithfulness. But there is another way of reading um, the the Hebrew term here to mean by uh, sort of like a version of by that what they're talking about is not um, the righteous person's faithfulness, but the faithfulness of the covenant that they've just been talking about. That this is the voice of God, the the way that God has been talking about it. So the righteous one will live by the faithfulness on account of the steadfastness of the divine covenant. So that already not, is a bit sorry, Frank. Sorry, yeah. sorry, internet. So not <laughs> yeah. So not on their own strength of faith. No, but right. on God's work. Yeah, the faithfulness of this covenant that's yeah. been talked about. Now, that seems complex enough, but when it gets translated into Greek in the Septuagint, it becomes explicit because the words there are, are explicitly the righteous um, the, or the just is also how it gets translated. So the just shall live by my faith. So remembering that this here is the it's this God. is God speaking. So at least those early translators from Hebrew to Greek um, thought that this was the the best mm. way to interpret the, that Hebrew text. And I mean, this is not to be super complex about it. And this kind of can um, do your head in in a way. But if we want to talk about which manuscripts we have of these texts and how old they are. The Greek manuscripts are normally the oldest ones we have. So the Hebrew that we're using here, which our NRSV or ESV or NIV are are being translated from, are called the Masoretic texts, and they are medieval manuscripts. So the Septuagint, the Greek translation, is older. We know that the Hebrew goes back to some reliable manuscripts. I'm not saying that that's just older stuff and it should all not be taken seriously as ancient texts. But it does show us that, you know, there is this interesting thing about what what are the words that um, that are written here and how are the best way to translate them. Well, I would agree with the Septuagint. How yeah. humble of me. <laughs> I but, think but, it's, you know, this interesting challenge, right, to think yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that that's what the, the gospel, when I say that, I mean... The gospel message yes. is that it's not by my own account and not by my own um, attempts, yeah. and that's what that sentence says. It's the faithfulness of God, yeah. not my own efforts, and I find that tremendously liberating and decentering in the best way. Yes. So that's what I would preach on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to wonder about and uh, it's not really part of the translation theory but to even wonder about what's the intersection between those things about both our faithfulness and the faithfulness yeah, and of that, the divine promise. Of course, that does tie into Romans chapter 3 and chapter 5. Yes. We pulled us that. Yes, work. all sorts of things like that. Yeah. I think we might move on to Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. Right. So good story here, friends. Very good story, Zacchaeus. So he's the tax collector, the first one in Luke we have who has a name, which is a – isn't that right? Well, we've got Levi earlier oh, on. Oh, yes, we've but got – 
Well, he's a chief. This, Zacchaeus is a chief, chief tax collector, so this is going to be important to us. So there are lots of important details in the description here. Um, but also I named him, I, I mentioned the, the phenomenon mm. of his name because a lot of this story is about Jesus noticing, yeah. noticing and, and seeing someone. Yeah, yeah. And the passage does that in various ways. So the name, um, also as you say, the, the chief, not only a chief tax collector but he's very rich, which is a tautology I would presume, maybe not, I don't know, yeah. but there's a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, and he's very of short stature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he can't see what's going on and so he's not easily noticeable. But then he makes the effort to climb the tree anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. There's also all these good things. And it's a bit of a, um, I mean, it's a bit of a culmination story in a way. Like where, mm. if we think about where we are in Luke's gospel, um, it's going to turn to the um, the entry into Jerusalem mm. shortly afterwards. Um, and so things have been building up. And we might even notice, you know, people might know that um, – uh, meals and hospitality are a key theme in Luke's gospel. It doesn't say here that um, explicitly that they sit down for for dinner, but that's kind of what's implied by being the guest in the house and, and all of this stuff and staying. You so, know, I'm not yeah. I'm just visiting. I'm yeah, staying. that's right. Yeah. So, so this is sort of implied, and it's interesting that across the meals in Luke, um, the the most recent one um, is is that in Luke chapter 14, which um, we're told, you know, that's the one where the great, the parable of the great banquet is told mm. and all of this, the stuff about jostling for places at the table. Um, and that takes place in the house of a leader of a Pharisee. So in that context, uh, leader of the Pharisees, sorry, um, in that context, Jesus gives this advice about, you know, inviting those who can't repay their favour and all that kind of thing. And it becomes the last time he's going to dine with Pharisees across the story of the gospel. So ends with this leader of the Pharisees. And then now we've got, with a tax collector, it's been all this stuff about Jesus um, dining with tax collectors and sinners and all this stuff, establishing the intimacy of a Greco-Roman meal with these people. Um, and here we have it, it's just the Pharisees. Uh, sorry, just not the, just the tax collector, and he's a chief tax collector. Yeah. So all these things coming together. Climax. Climax, is, yeah. that's right. And he is... Um, uh, yeah, we've got this range of things that we might notice about him, um, like uh, the grumble. Oh, sorry, this is what I was going to say. They're grumbling. So mm. we get this thing where it, now it's only the tax collector at dinner and the others are grumbling. What does that make you think of, friend? Well, that makes me think of the um, Israelites' response to Moses in yeah, Exodus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? I think that is what's yeah, yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're not even there anymore, but they're mm. still grumbling at a mm. distance about what Jesus is up to. Mm. Yeah. And there's a real divine compulsion or something, or, you know, one might see a mark, an imperative or something, because there's hurrying, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, mm. and I must stay at your house. Mm. So, and he hurried down and was so on. There's a real um, vibrancy kind of and a dynamism to it. Yeah. to it, isn't there? Yeah. I think mm. that's right. And I think what you said at the beginning too in setting it up about the um, this this question about being recognised and all the different ways in which Zacchaeus could be a character who's overlooked um, by other characters, those grumbly kind of characters, and yet he's not. So one of the things um, 
uh, sometimes people wonder about what it means, why why the specific attention about him being short in stature. Um, of course, part of it is it sets up the kind of drama of the story that he's up the tree and how this you know is all happening, and he has to make extra effort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going the extra mile in a way. Like he really wants – does he want – sorry, this is a no, segue. Does he no. just want to see Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, this is the guy everyone's been talking about. Yeah. Or does he actually want to be noticed and maybe he doesn't know himself? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. So there's this element to it. Some biblical scholars wonder about whether the point that's being made is actually that he is someone who's a short-statured person uh, and and if we actually have someone with a disability being described here, um, some pros and cons of, of interpreting it like that. But I guess one thing we would um, – we might notice as well is that there i mean there is a strong tradition um well there there is information about the the ways in which people with with those kinds of impairments were um the brunt of a lot of jokes in antiquity and so this might be this might also contribute to the idea of being um overlooked there's um in fact louise gosbell has a fantastic book um about about that meal from luke 14 um where she looks at kind of um some um archaeological evidence and stuff of people with certain kinds of um physical um impairments being used as the entertainment at greco-roman symposia Mm. that's a horrible thing to even contemplate um but it does show the way in which some of these texts might um be addressing some of those things Mm. and i said i mean even just in our own context right i've was listening uh today about the disability royal commission here in in australia will be hearing um this week people speaking about their experience of um abuse in social settings out in public um on account of their disabilities um and there was an interview with a, a person who um it was a short statured person talking about that so you can see this like the kind of continuity mm. that we actually do have for all the discontinuities some continuities about the public disdain for different groups that this passage is potentially standing over against mm. and saying instead you know this deep idea about being recognized that in fact all of us um it, regardless of our impairments or our, or anything um are, are recognized in this way and i know it's a common experience for people for a range of reasons maybe something for their whole lives or maybe something that emerges over time as as we age um this experience of feeling overlooked and and not noticed in the way that we that we had been previously and i i can see a great call in the church to to consider what it means to really recognize someone like Jesus does here with Zacchaeus and to 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 notice them to name them um and to yeah, see Christ to spend time with them well, yes see the risk of sounding pious but no, seeing no. Christ in their face and yeah yeah and the shared humanity yeah there are there's one other and we're, we're yeah. dealing with some big translation issues this episode yeah. but <laughs> yes. um in verse 8 Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, and as the NRSV says, I will give to the poor and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay them back four times. Yeah. That in fact the the future that we hear, the future tense in I will in both of those statements are not correct according to the Greek. That's right. Yeah. The, the Greek literally says I give to the poor 
and I pay back four times as much. So it's present tense. Yeah. Work. So people, um, people have had. There's a debate about did did Zacchaeus have a, a you know a, a conversion experience here, and mm. you know said, well, right from now on, I'll do this. But actually, the the language in the original suggests that he's already engaging in these practices. Yeah. So certainly, the most straightforward translation of the Greek would indicate that it is an existing practice that he's describing mm. here. And and for I, I think there's um, from memory a really good discussion of this particular part just in that small book um, by Brendan Byrne, The Hospitality of God, uh, as a nice little discussion of of this. So in fact, if we then if we take that. As being that he's describing an existing practice, then we've got this interesting thing to wonder about when we get to verses 9 and Mm. 10 because there is an announcement. I mean, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. So what is the thing that's different today um, in light of this? Yeah, because the way we have the translation, it looks like some transactional things occurred. Well, because you will do this, yeah, salvation has come to this house. Um, whereas it's more likely, isn't it, more theologically correct or more more how God would operate that salvation has come to this place because you have sought me out mm. and I have seen you. Yeah, yeah. Or well, I have seen you maybe is enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I mean, isn't that an awesome thing to wonder about? I mean, um, yes, I think that it is about this this. Interact like if we're going to take the the um, the the reading of verse eight like it's more literally translates in the Greek, then then I think what what we can see is going on here is that it's actually the presence of Jesus here that has that has brought this mm-hmm. salvation. It's this healing restoration of the relationship that's been possible for this tax collector um, interacting with Jesus, with Zacchaeus, despite all the grumblers off in the corner. Um, and then the interesting you know, thing, for, for the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Um, you know, you say, Fran, and rightly, Zacchaeus is going to some extra effort in order to see Jesus, but the, the kind of the angle we might get from that final verse is is actually it's Jesus's initiative mm. in recognizing, you know, he's sought him out from up this sycamore tree, and recognized who he was, recognized what mm. he needed, and and followed through with it. And that's the Lucan theme about the lost things that we've had all you know several weeks, well all year, yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. Perfect. And I you know I've said this before on an episode or two that. We in our um, Western culture with our focus on individualism and how we feel about something are often very focused on us finding, you know, the, the rhetoric, the popular rhetoric is that you go and you found, have you found God and I can't sense God here and so on. And time and again the scriptures flip that around and say you are a child of God and God is looking for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And the original encounter of that was Adam and Eve where the first thing that Adam did when he was recognised he was naked, was hide. And God said, where are you, Abraham? Um, Sorry, where are you, Adam? So that's theologically so crucial, I think, for for the the liberation and and the, well, for us to experience the liberation and love of God is not on our own efforts and energies. Yeah, yeah, as though God is the one hiding from us. Although we may climb a tree from time to time. Yeah, 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 sometimes, yes, exactly. The thing um, that comes to mind for me too is that um, beautiful Ignatian practice of beginning prayer by becoming aware of how God is already looking at us. 
so you know full of grace and love um and in fact i often start um public worship with that kind of like centering prayer mm. to to invite people to become aware of the way that god is already looking at us seeking us out um and that maybe the climbing the tree you know every now and then we climb the tree well that, well, that is maybe the the um the equivalent, the analogy for that is the moment when we uh, take uh, take a breath and and uh, turn our hearts to noticing the way mm. God is looking at us. That's the climbing the tree moment. But God is already mm. seeking Re- us out, present. Yeah. Remembering we are children of God. Yeah. 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 Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you all. See ya. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College, and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.